Welcome back to the Manly Saints Project. By me, Hugh Hunter. We live in a world that struggles to understand the virtues of manliness. Our culture doesn't provide young men, or any men for that matter, with a lot of positive male role models. When I became a Catholic, I wanted to show how the saints could be manly role models for us. My weekly exploration of manly saints became the Manly Saints Project. If you enjoy my work, please consider signing up and supporting me on Substack, or click the links in the show notes to buy me a beer. Now, let's meet this week's Manly Saint. Join me today to meet the saint and the original sword in the stone. Name, Galgano Galganus, sometimes although wrongly called Galgano Guidotti or Galgano Libanori. Life, around 1150 to 1181 AD. Status, Saint. Feast, November 30th. When the poets of the Middle Ages tried to understand the best way to be a man, they often turned back to the stories of King Arthur. And while there really was an Arthur, although his origins are murky, his legend was soon supplemented by folk stories and tales from all over Europe. And one of the most important of these tales is the tale of the sword in the stone, which seems to have originated in the true story of today's manly saint, Galgano. Now, to tell the story of the sword in the stone, we will have to begin with an event that occurred when Galgano was just a toddler in Chiusdino, a small town in western Italy. In 1152, Frederick I, Redbeard, or Barbarossa, was elected Holy Roman Emperor. Frederick Barbarossa was a fierce fighter, a one-time crusader, who was now set on restoring the respect he thought the Holy Roman Empire was not getting from the papacy and the various cities of Italy. And this meant that minor knights, like Galgano's father, would have plenty of military work ahead of them for a very long time. The war between the emperor and the pope would go on for decades. Frederick Barbarossa was, at one point, excommunicated. By 1177, the emperor and the pope were reconciled, though the fighting in Italy continued into the 1180s. Growing up in Chiusdino, young Galgano probably didn't remember a time before the war. He would not live to see the end of it. The constant war made life dangerous and uncertain for ordinary people. There was always a chance of being attacked, or robbed, or captured, or having one's goods commandeered. The people who did well in that sort of environment were men who liked the chaos and the violence. And maybe it was the environment in which he grew up, or maybe it was the fact that his father died young. But Galgano grew up to be exactly the sort of man who did well in the chaos. Galgano became a knight like his father. But unlike his father, he was not very scrupulous. Galgano didn't mind getting his sword bloody. And so he joined in the general chaos of his time to fight and profit and, if all went according to plan, eventually marry and retire as a wealthy man. And in this, Galgano would not have been so different from many other young men in his time, 
except that he was quite certain that he had been meant to be a warrior because of something he had seen in a dream. In the dream, he was a spectator, and he saw the archangel Michael telling his pregnant mother that her boy, Galgano, should be raised as a warrior. Something about the dream stuck with Galgano, especially as his late father had always had a special devotion to the Archangel Michael. It wasn't enough to make him change his ways, though. And besides, he did grow up to be a warrior, so as far as Galgano was concerned, he was doing what the Archangel wanted. By now, Galgano was approaching his thirties, the time when a man in medieval Italy hoped to be wealthy enough to marry well. Galgano had done well for himself, and he was engaged to be married. But reading between the lines of the first accounts of his life, it seems like Galgano was troubled by some of the things he had done. We don't know what they would have been exactly, but the war offered many chances for cruelty. As Galgano prepared for the next stage of his life, he seems to have been asking himself whether that was all there was to it. And this was when he dreamed about the archangel for the second time. This time, in the dream, Michael spoke to Galgano directly and said, Follow me. And then Galgano was once again a spectator, watching himself follow the archangel down country paths, over bridges, through meadows, in and out of caves, winding through the landscape near Chiustino until they came to a mountain, which Galgano recognized as Monte Siepi. And there, waiting for him, were twelve men whom Galgano recognized as the apostles. St. Michael, standing among them, said that it was here that Galgano was meant to be. Galgano woke up with absolutely no idea what to do. For one thing, there was nothing there up on the top of Monte Siepi. It was cold and barren and inhospitable. How on earth was he going to go there? What was he going to do? Perhaps, Galgano thought, the archangel was asking him to build a church, and perhaps if he did, his conscience would feel a little cleaner. And so that is what Galgano set out to do. The first thing to do was to secure funding. So Galgano started telling his friends about a church on Monte Siepi and asking them to contribute. The trouble was that everyone who heard his plan laughed in his face. Why on earth would anyone build anything there on Monte Siepi? And perhaps Galgano's past life had not given him the best reputation, because the general consensus among his friends was that Galgano was running a scam. He was going to take the money for his imaginary mountain church and spend it on himself. Even in the sparse medieval canonization documents, we get a sense of Galgano's increasing desperation. His conscience weighed on him. The dream suggested that there was a means of redemption, but he couldn't get at it. Galgano went to see his mother about what the archangel had told him. She had been very receptive to his first dream, but this time she told him that it was too cold and remote up there on the mountain. She advised him to get married and get on with his life. Galgano 
was in an impossible situation. His conscience and the archangel were telling him he needed to do something, but all his attempts to do something had failed. And so Galgano gave in to a universal masculine temptation. He ran away. Or rather, to guess from the direction in which he traveled, Galgano decided to forge his own redemption in the most natural way for a knight of his time, by going on crusade. And so he saddled his horse and took camping supplies and equipment with him and set out for the coastal cities on the east of Italy, where he could set sail by boat to the Holy Land. Galgano did not get very far east. Soon into his journey, his horse began to spook. Galgano would have been an excellent rider, but on this particular night, nothing he did would make the horse continue down the road. It was as though a line had been drawn across the ground that the horse would not cross. So he tied the horse up and made camp, planning to go on in the morning. In the morning, Galgano discovered that the invisible line was still there, and nothing he could do would make his horse cross it. After trying for some time, Galgano gave up. He sat in the saddle and dropped the reins, asking God to show him what he was supposed to do, where he was supposed to be. And then, without any assistance from its rider, Galgano's horse turned back toward the direction from which it had come and began to trot along the roads. But instead of going home, it brought him to the foot of Monte Sieppi. Confused and uncertain, Galgano began to climb. The first accounts simply tell us that Galgano ascended the mountain, but a later tradition fills in the details of what he saw at the top. In this version of the story, Galgano, confused, resentful, and probably not a little angry, climbed until he encountered the Archangel Michael waiting for him. And so, high on Monte Sieppi, Galgano finally understood that St. Michael didn't want him for his connections or his wealth. St. Michael wanted him. And yet, what the archangel clearly didn't understand was that Galgano was the wrong man for the job. Galgano began to explain to the archangel that he was not a good man. That was the whole problem. It's hard not to imagine the confrontation on the mountaintop. Galgano in his fine clothes, cloak billowing out behind him in the wind, shouting out his sins in a strange kind of confession. And the ancient warrior Michael, who has seen civilizations rise and fall and witnessed every kind of human evil, calmly regarding Galgano as the night gradually falls silent. And perhaps that was what led Galgano to his dramatic gesture. Finally, so the tradition goes, Galgano drew his sword and told Michael that he had as much chance of becoming a good man as the sword did of splitting solid stone. And then to illustrate his point, Galgano drove his sword into the stone beneath his feet. And to Galgano's amazement, the sword sank into the rock, almost to the hilt. He realized that enough of the blade was showing that it formed a cross. And that was what it took for Galgano to stop resisting. He was going to be a hermit. 
We are used to understanding the armor of God in symbolic terms when we think of the saints. But in this case, the sword of Galgano is not a symbol, or not only a symbol. If you visit the monastery that is today on Monte Siepi, you can see it for yourself. It has survived all attempts to prove it is a fake or a forgery, including several in the last 20 years. By all accounts, it is an authentic 12th century sword, somehow driven straight down into solid stone and stuck firmly in place. And so, on the top of Monte Siepi, Galgano became a hermit. One man who knew him described his lifestyle. He got rid of most of his rich clothes, settling on a simple robe in which he lived and slept, stretched out on the bare ground. He ate moderately, sticking to water and vegetables for the most part. He disciplined himself and was strictly obedient to the clergy in the area. And as word spread of the hermit knight on the mountaintop, people came to ask for his advice and help. Sometimes the locals snuck up when they thought Galgano was distracted to try to pull the sword out of the stone. One man later admitted that he had done it on three separate occasions. And among those who came to see Galgano, some realized that they too felt called to the life of a hermit on top of Mount Siepi, and a community began to form there around him. Galgano was a changed man. The cruel and violent night was gone. Well, almost. During the process of his canonization, one man testified under oath that his son had witnessed an encounter between Galgano and a demon. It wasn't unknown for saints to be tempted, and saints generally resorted to prayer in the face of demonic temptations. Galgano's prayer style still had a bit of his old life about it. When Galgano had heard the demon coming, he hadn't waited for it to arrive. He jumped up and stormed out into the darkness, going to meet the danger. And though the witness hadn't seen the confrontation itself, he had heard an unearthly howling fading away as the demon retreated down the mountain. Galgano spent a few more years on the mountain. And then, one night, locals noticed a strange light emanating from the mountaintop, and when they went up in the morning, they found the body of the saint. Sometime before, Galgano had told a local man that the Emperor Frederick Barbarossa would come and visit his mountain. Now, Galgano was dead, and it began to seem as if his prophecy was mistaken. But as word spread of the saint, and the sword and the stone the process for Galgano's canonization moved swiftly. The cardinal who came to oversee the proceedings was part of an imperial delegation, and so the emperor came along with him. As the church was interviewing witnesses and gathering accounts of miracles, the emperor Barbarossa climbed Monte Siepi to see the hermit community that had formed there, and to gaze at the symbol of Christian knighthood, a sword planted into solid stone to form a cross. I imagine the emperor enjoyed learning about the swashbuckling miracles that had become St. Galgano's speciality. St. Galgano had helped men who were ambushed, or those who were taken captive, breaking chains and freeing them, even helping one man who was shoved into a big wooden chest which was nailed shut, and another who was abducted by German raiders and dragged off in a sack. 
We can't know what the Emperor Frederick Barbarossa thought of the sword and the stone, and the saint who had left it there. The Emperor, more than most, had defended the knightly ideal. So I wonder whether he felt a challenge from this knight who had become a saint. Because not many years later, Frederick Barbarossa sought a kind of redemption as well, and led his army on crusade. It would be a disaster. The emperor was fated to die in a freak accident shortly before he arrived in the Holy Land. His army would break apart. But if Galgano's tale tells us anything, it is that redemption is never so far away as you might suppose. It was the demoralized knights of Frederick Barbarossa who would band together to form the third great crusader order, the Teutonic Knights, and sweep back into northern Europe as Christian warriors. But that is a tale for another time.